Well, it is great to be with you today. And for those of you who are watching with us online right now, I just want to take a minute. It is an honor to be invited into your home. And so uh, just a quick shout out to Jen and Craig in Florida. Uh, I know you guys are watching with us this morning, Dan and Caroline in LA. We're so glad you're watching with us this morning. And I'm so glad to be in your home and invited into your house today. We're so excited that we get to spend some time worshiping you together this morning. Now, last week, if you were with us, we talked about how easy it is for all of us to actually end up lost in the area of our personal finance. And we said that uh, when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, when it comes to all this stuff, um, lost, right, uh, it doesn't mean, you know, not having enough. Lost really means having a bunch of questions like, okay, where did it go? Right, because at tax time or the end of the year, you end up looking at this sheet of paper and there's like this huge number and you think to yourself, okay, where did it go? How did I get so much debt, right? Why do I feel so much financial pressure? Why um, am I always wanting more, right? Here's a big one. Um, why am I never content with what I have? Why am I driven, right, by this constant sense, this constant constant sense of discontentment? Am I giving enough? Am I saving enough, right? Am I going to have enough when I retire someday? We're, we're constantly driven with these questions. When it comes down, uh, maybe you, f you find yourself in this situation and you think, okay, you know, I, I, there's something I really want to give some money to. I want to be generous. Uh, I want to be thankful. And so you, you make a decision and you make a commitment even maybe to, to giving or, or sharing some of your resources. But then when it comes to writing the check, right, you're just like, okay, I, you know, you just can't follow through. Like I just can't, I can't give the money away even though I want to give the money away. And, and you wonder, okay, what's wrong with me? Like what is going on? Why, um, why do I struggle with this, right? It's very, very easy for all of us, right? Why can I make so much money? And, and just have this constant financial pressure, right? It's very easy for all of us to end up feeling lost in the area and in the world uh, of our personal finances. And so last week, um, we ended by saying this. We said, when it comes to money and finance, right, the opposite of being lost um, really isn't being found. It's actually knowing where you are and where it is that you want to end up. It's not just having financial dreams. It's actually having a financial Plan. And, and the amazing thing, we talked about this, is that the scriptures are filled um, with insights and with knowledge about how to use and how to manage our finance. And the truth is, that probably would be a, a good enough reason, right, to, to justify spending uh, a few weeks together in church talking about this. Um, but last week, we actually discovered a much more compelling reason, which is simply this, that you cannot, right, you and I, we cannot wholeheartedly be followers of Jesus and simply be content with being lost financially, right? You, you cannot be a follower of Jesus and just be content with where you are financially if you're lost or just simply have no intention of getting unlost because Jesus, he just said too much, right? He just taught too much uh, about money. And so for you and for me and for all of us to say things like, okay, you know, I love Jesus and I want to follow Jesus and Jesus, I want you to bless me, right? And bless my family and bless my kids and bless my job and bless my school. I want you to just, you know, bless, 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 bless. But, you know, Jesus, I just want to, I'm going to keep this part, right? I'm going to hold on to this part for myself, right? We just said as followers of Jesus, you, you, you can't do that, right? Because he just said too much. Um, he, he taught too much on the subject of, of money. And we discovered last week also that money really is a spiritual issue and purchases, right, there's actually a lot going on with this, that purchases are in fact spiritual 
decisions, right? That we cannot be, this is why we cannot simply be, uh, we cannot be wholeheartedly followers of Jesus and, and be content with being lost in the area uh, of finance. And, and again, if this whole idea scares you, um, right, it shouldn't, okay, it shouldn't because think about this. Nobody, right, nobody who applies Jesus' principles to their money ends up upside down because of Jesus' principles, right? That never happens. Nobody who applies the teaching of Scripture, right, to how they manage and handle their personal finances ends up in the condition that many of us have ended up in, not because we took our cues from Scripture, but because we ended up taking our cues from the world around us. And so the truth is, what we're talking about for these couple of weeks, it really is a good news thing. But I get it, right? Every time you mix the subjects of money and preacher and church, right, everybody starts getting a little bit nervous. But I'm telling you, you don't have to, right? You don't have to because this is an incredibly liberating message that we're going to talk about for these next several weeks, how to follow Jesus with our money. Now, Last week we ended, and I gave you a little bit of an assignment. And so um, some of you, some of you did it, right? Some of you thought about doing it. Some of you argued uh, with a person that you're married to or dating about doing this. And it was really interesting. Before the, the nine o'clock service, uh, a woman stopped me and she said, "You know, I started writing all this stuff down, like you said, and it was incredible. I had no idea I was spending that much money every single week. That's why we gave you this assignment because we said the very first step." in getting unlost financially is actually knowing where your money is going. And so if you didn't get one of these, we have a few extras. I have a new tool for you this week as well. And it's always so interesting, right, how when it comes to married couples, um, there, there's one person in the relationship who wants to do this. There's the other person in the relationship who's kind of like, okay, um, you know, not so much, right? Um, but the truth is all of us, right, all of us, we need some way of knowing where the money is going. And so today, um, as we kind of move into the second part of this, we're going to ask the question, how does God view my money, right? We're going to zoom out 30,000 feet, take a big overview picture, and let me tell you why this is such a critical question. Because listen, if you were to come to me um, because you were having an, an issue or a struggle in your marriage, right, and so you wanted to talk to me about your marriage, um, before I, I, I listen to his story or her story or your story or whatever story, the first thing that I would want to do is actually talk to you about how it is that God views marriage and what it is that God thinks about marriage. Because before we get into any of the specifics about what's going on with the two of you, the first thing I want to make sure we all understand is what did God design and what did God create marriage to do and to be? Because whatever the specifics are, they have to all end up falling underneath this big canopy of how did God design and intend marriage to be lived out. And so the truth is, any time, right, any time a group of people are actually willing to honestly ask and answer this question, right, how does God view anything, right, how does God view any area of life, any time people are willing to ask and answer these questions, um, it, this is an incredibly important statement because whenever you get God's insight into your life, if you actually understand why it is that God says certain things, you are much more inclined to do the things that God actually says to do, right? Anytime we understand what God says, we are automatically going to be more inclined to do what our Heavenly Father asks of us, right? We're gonna, this is going to change our assumptions. It's going to change our understandings. And most importantly, it's going to change our actions, our attitudes, and our behavior. So the question we're going to talk about today for a little bit 
is how is it that God actually views my money? And listen, if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I already know the punchline to this. Um, the punchline is he wants it, right? He just, God just, I already know, Joe, we can just stop right now because I know that is where you're going, that God wants my money. Listen, your God is too small, okay? Your God is too small. If he wanted it, he would have already taken it, okay? No, God does not want your money. If he wanted it, he would have already taken it, right? So we can all just collectively exhale and sigh a big sigh of relief because that is not where we're going today. In fact, where we're going today is so much bigger and so much um, mind more mind-blowing than that. In fact, where we're going is found in one of Jesus' most, are you kidding me, did he really say that, parables, which is found in Luke chapter 16. Now, if you want to follow along in one of the Bibles in front of you, in your own Bible, or perhaps on your device, this is where we're going today. Luke chapter 16, um, Luke begins by saying this. He tells us that Jesus told his disciples. And see, now right here, we have to pause for just a minute. And so everybody eyes up here for a second. There you go. Put Amazon to the side just for a minute for me. Okay, so this word right here, disciples. If you've been in church or you've been around church for any length of time, you have undoubtedly heard this word, and you've heard it used in probably a bunch of different ways. And so oftentimes we get the wrong picture about what this word actually means. But disciple, it means follower, right? That's what disciple means. Disciple means follower. So this is not, this term is not referring exclusively to the 12 apostles. It's actually a group of people larger than that. It includes them, but it's larger than that. This is the group of people, disciples, are people who believe Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be. Like we said last week, these are people who want to actually be with Jesus. They want to live like Jesus, and they want to do the things that Jesus did. That's what the Bible means when it talks about disciples. Now, in our world today, we would call these people apprentices, right? Apprentices. Here's what an apprentice is. A person who attaches themselves to a master, right? So think carpenter, electrician, but also artist, right? Painter, sculptor, composer, right? Somebody is a master in some area of life. And so pe these are people who attach themselves to a master in order to learn from them. And then this is key. This is absolutely key to emulate that person. Right, so this is not, um, oh, hey, I like what you said there, right, and that was kind of interesting. I might, I might think about that some more, right? That's not what this is, right? A, a disciple um, is this. A, di a disciple is a person who says, okay, um, Jesus, that, that's interesting. I, I've never thought about it that way before, um, but because I want to follow you, Jesus, I'm just going to do what you would do in that situation, Right, so Jesus, I, I know what I feel about this. I know what I think about this. I know what I've been told about this. Um, but Jesus, what would you do if, if you were me? Right, because I'm going to do whatever you would do. Right, that's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is the person who actually applies Jesus' teaching to their life. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so Luke tells us that one day Jesus told his disciples a story, right, a parable. Jesus made up a story to make a, a point. And so in our world, we would say, you know, once upon a time, there was once a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, right? There was a rich man who was so rich, he had more to manage than he could handle, 
right? Once upon a time, there was a rich man who hired a manager who bought and who sold and who traded with his name. And so this rich man, right, this rich man, he, he gets word that his manager is, is acting in a way that he doesn't appreciate. Either he's doing something dishonest or he's not being smart or, or he's not just representing the, the owner well with, with the owner's stuff. Right? And so the rich man, he calls this manager in and he says, hey, what's this I hear about you? Right? Word on the street is um, you're not being wise, you're not being smart, you're not being honest, you're not representing me well with my stuff. So I want you to give account of your management. Right? Figure, finish up whatever it is you're doing, whatever projects you've got going, I want you to wrap everything up, finish all the details, and I want you to grab the books, I want you to bring them to me, because listen, you cannot be manager any longer right so the rich man right the rich man he fires the manager and then the manager in the story says to himself okay and this is a key statement he says this actually i'm going to have you say this with me ready what should i do now one more time what should i do now and now this is a very very important word Right? What shall I, oh no, right? My manager is firing me, so what shall I do now? Oh no, I wasn't expecting this. What shall I do now? And so suddenly, the guy in the story, right, he finds himself in a situation where he has a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to figure out where he's going to go and whether or not anybody is going to take him in. And so, the manager, right, he thinks about this, and he, he comes up um, w with a question, and he asks himself, okay, so what am I going to do with my little bit of time and my little bit of opportunity in a way that I can actually have a secure future, right? What am I gonna, how am I going to accomplish this? That's what he's thinking. And he comes up with an idea, and he says this, okay, I know what I'm going to do so that when, right, another time word, because this whole story is actually about time. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses, right? And, and suddenly, um, this guy, he comes up with an idea, and so he says, okay, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. So he called in each one of the rich man's debtors, right? And he asked each of them, he said, okay, how much do you owe my master, right? And so the, the first one responds and says, well, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil he replied. And so the manager looks at the debtor and he says to him, okay, well, take your bill and sit down quickly, right? Sit down quickly before anybody else discovers. Sit down quickly before anybody else finds out. Sit down quickly because, listen, I don't have much time and I need to make sure that I take the most advantage out of my little bit of time and my little bit of opportunity, right? So sit down quickly and make your bill 400. Just 400? Yeah. 400. Because, I mean, you know, think about it. 800, I mean, 800, that would take you forever to repay that. I mean, but 400, right? 400. I mean, you could probably do that pretty easily, right? I mean, that would, this would be so much easier for you. I mean, 400, you could probably do that right now. 400, I mean, you could probably do that today. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, hey, 
if there's ever anything I can do for you, like, just let me know. <laughs> no problem. I will. Maybe sooner than you think. Now, as the story continues, we get the impression as Jesus tells the story that this manager, he does this over and over and over again with all of the people who are in debt to his master, right? I mean, it's bargain day. He's giving these people the, the deal of a lifetime, right? He's still got the authority to do that. He's got a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity. And see, it's at this point in the story that everybody in Jesus' audience kind of leans in and, and they start to ask themselves, they think to themselves, okay, man, when, when this guy's manager, when the manager's boss finds out what he's doing, I mean, this guy, he is toast. I mean, he is going to jail. He is ripping his master off big time. I mean, no wonder, right? No wonder the rich man had him fired, right? And listen, if, if you haven't heard this story before, um, then the truth is you probably are thinking the same thing. And see, the reason you're thinking the same thing is because Jesus was the master storyteller. And Jesus knew how to get the audience in the first century, as well as the audience in the 21st century, to, to lean in and to be just confused enough and to have their categories scrambled just enough that they would want to try to figure out exactly what Jesus was talking about. Because in every one of Jesus' stories, there's one character who represents God, and there's one character who represents you, and there's one character who represents me. And so everyone in Jesus' audience is trying to figure out, okay, Jesus, what in the world is the point, right? And, and, and the people in, their, in that audience, if you haven't heard this story before, were just as confused as you were, because they all thought that the, the dishonest money manager was about to get into some serious trouble. But they would be wrong, because Jesus continues, and he says this in verse 8. The master commended, right? He high-fived, he smiled at, he winked at, he gave a thumbs up, right, to the dishonest money manager because he had acted shrewdly. He had acted thoughtfully. And it's like, okay, you're not mad? Oh, no, I'm mad. Don't get me wrong. But listen, I can't be, I mean, I can't be too mad because, I mean, look at what you did. Like, you, you thought it through, right? You thought the situation through. You thought the, the situation through with the future in mind. You, you thought the situation through with your future in mind. And see, at this point in the story, everybody in Jesus' audience, you know, maybe like you right now, if you haven't heard the story before, is sitting there thinking, okay, what in the world? I mean, that doesn't make sense. This guy should be in so much trouble right now. Like, which one of these characters is God, and which one of these characters in me is me? And what in the world is Jesus' point? I mean, like, why is he even telling us this story? And so Jesus has them right where he wants them, right? He has us right where he wants us. And so it's at this point that Jesus stops the parable. And if you're following along in your own Bible right now or in a device, this is where you should draw a line in your Bible or highlight the text that comes below this. Because at this point, Jesus stops the story and he begins to give the explanation to the story that he just told. And he says this. The people of this world, right? In other words, the people who live as though all there is to life is this life, right? That's what he's talking about. The people of this world, they are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people 
of the light. And it's like, okay, Jesus, what are you talking about? And Jesus is saying, listen, what, what you, here's what you need to understand about the way your heavenly father views money. Your heavenly father does not view money the way that you and I and people of this world view money. Right? And this is huge. Because Jesus is looking at a whole bunch of people who actually believe that there's a heaven. A whole bunch of people who believe that everybody lives forever somewhere. People who believe in eternity. Right? People who believe that there is, in fact, more to this life than simply what they experience in this life. And, and Jesus says that oftentimes, the people who don't believe any of those things, oftentimes they are, in fact, more shrewd. They are wiser. They are more thoughtful in dealing with their own time than are the people of the light. Right? To which it makes you want to ask the question, okay, so why is that? And Jesus says, well, I'm glad you asked. Because listen, they understand how to take a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity and use it so that their time in this world, in the future, is taken care of. So that they know how to leverage their little bit of time and their little bit of opportunity for their longer future in this world. And see, Jesus' point for you and for me, really, um, is simply this, that as followers of Jesus, we are to do the exact same thing, right? That when it comes to our money, when it comes to our wealth, when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to our income, we are to view all these things not simply in the context of this life, but actually in the broader context of eternity. That we are, are, are to ask ourselves the question, how in the world can I get maximum use, right? Maximum use out of my money in light of the little bit of time I have and the little bit of opportunity that comes my way. And then to make sure that we don't miss this, Jesus pauses for a moment and he gives us a command, right? And I'll be honest with you, what Jesus said next for years, I did not understand what Jesus was saying in this next verse. But once I understood what Jesus was saying, it radically changed the way that we and that I handle our money and our possessions in our fam family. And Jesus says this. He says, listen, this is life-changing. In verse 9, um, Jesus says this. And again, remember, um, the only people that Jesus gives a command to are people who are already his followers, right? People who have already been adopted into his family. Remember, we talked about this in a previous series. You give rules to your kids. God gives rules to his kids. I give rules to my kids. The only people that Jesus give rules, gives rules to are his disciples, right? His followers, his apprentices, right? So if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you don't have to do this, right? Don't tell me, don't hear me telling you what to do. Um, but I would suggest that you kind of listen to what it is that he's about to say because there is uh, an application for you as well. Because Jesus says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth, right? To which we want to say, okay, well, Jesus, but what other kind of wealth is there other than worldly wealth? And again, Jesus said, well, that's a good question. But use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves like the money manager so that when it is gone, right, because one day it will be gone, and in fact one day you will be gone, right, when it is gone. So use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves like the money manager, so that when you are gone, you will be welcomed, right, this is so strange, think about this. You will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. 
the implication being, right, that there is actually something that, that you and I can do right now with our temporary wealth that actually in our itty-bitty slot of opportunity of time that will, in fact, make an eternal difference. And see, honestly, I would tell you, you should not take this seriously. And I, and I should not take this seriously except for one thing, that after Jesus was crucified, he actually came back from the dead. And so Jesus substantiated the idea of eternity, not simply because of what he taught, but because of what he did, the fact that he actually walked out of a tomb, right? And again, his point here is very clear, right? That your money and your possessions and my money and my possessions, they are not an end. They're actually a means to something. Right, that your money and you, my money, your possessions and my possessions, the implication being is that our right now resources actually have the potential to make a forever difference. Right, we hear this all the time. You can't take it with you, right? You can't take it with you. We hear that all the time. But what Jesus is saying is although that's true, there is in fact a way for you to have something to show for your right now resources later on in eternity. Something that goes beyond this life. Jesus is saying, okay, your heavenly father, understand, he sees money as a means to an end. Right? He sees money as a tool. And listen, if Jesus is right, okay, and I just personally, I think he is, so I'll tip my hand a little bit. But if, if Jesus is in fact actually right, okay, and this is different, okay, and this, even if you've spent your whole life in church, you may never have heard this before. If Jesus is right, and I think that he is, what this means is that you and I should not simply view a percentage of what we have as belonging to our Heavenly Father. It means that you and I should view 100% of what we have as being available to our Heavenly Father. Right? In other words, the question that we should be asking ourselves as followers of Jesus is how in the world can I actually use more of what I have as a means to an end that's not me? How can I actually use more of what I ha have as a means to an end that's outside of me, that actually benefits somebody than just me? And, and, and see, here's the interesting thing about this, and, and most of you have already figured this out, right? When you answer this question, that's actually where joy is found, isn't it? There is an infusion of joy. You've experienced this. When, you be when we begin to see our temporary wealth as a tool that our Heavenly Father can use to actually impact somebody else for eternity. And see, here's what I know about you, even though I, I do not know all of you personally, but I, I do know something about all of you. Every single one of us, whenever we're about to make a financial purchase, a financial decision, there's always a number of things that we factor in. Now, some of you actually have written those things down. For others of you, it's just kind of a questions you run through in the back of your mind. But for all of us, we actually factor in certain things before we make any kind of a significant purchase. And so I just want to suggest that you begin to factor in a question, a new question, a question that perhaps you've never asked yourself before. Here's the question. Do you want more stuff or do you actually want more stories? Because see, Jesus says, okay, understand how your heavenly father views money. He sees it as a tool to impact people for eternity. 
He's not telling you to give it all away, right? That would be irresponsible, Jesus would say. No, he simply wants you to figure out how to use it better. And when that happens, you will experience joy. That's the first new view that Jesus wants us to understand. Here's the second. Remember, Jesus continues, and he, he is explaining the parable still, right? This is still the explanation. He tells us that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? Right? And it's like, okay, Jesus, time out. Wait a minute. Little, much, like worldly wealth, like what, is, what even is, if, what is the opposite of worldly wealth? And Jesus, he doesn't, he, he, just, he just keeps on going and he says this. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who's going to give you property of your own? And again, it's like, okay, Jesus, I, I don't understand. Listen, this is my money. It's my paycheck. It's my house. It's my car. I have the deed to the house. I have the title to the car. Right? This somebody else's property. What, in the, what are you even talking about right here? And see, what Jesus does right here is absolutely brilliant because what he's doing is he's put all of us, putting all of us into one category. Right? And he's saying, listen, all of you, all of you have a little bit. Right? To which we want to say, well, Jesus, you're right. I mean, I do have a little bit. But see, I know this guy, and like my entire house would fit into his garage. Like he does not have a little bit, Jesus. He has a whole lot. And Jesus says, well, compared to who? I guess that's a good point. That would be compared to me, but probably not, I would assume, Jesus, compared to you. And Jesus says, exactly. Right, exactly. But listen, everything you own, Jesus says, is a tool. But it's also a test. And your heavenly father is trying to discover who is really trustworthy. Right? And we want to say, okay, but Jesus, you don't, listen, this doesn't even make sense. Because I don't lie, and I don't steal, and Jesus, I don't cheat, and, and Jesus, you know, I, I'm faithful to my spouse. Like, what do you, what do you mean cheat? And, and, and Jesus says, okay, no, all that's good, all that's good, but understand, listen, I, I know that where your stuff is, that's where your heart ends up. Your, your heavenly father knows that wherever your stuff is, that's where your heart ends up. And the reason I care about the way that you manage and handle your stuff is because it tells me who is in fact trustworthy to be rewarded in the life to come. Right, not who goes to heaven someday. This has nothing, nothing to do with that at all. Right, but all through the Gospels, Jesus speaks about this, about a reward that we either will or will not receive in the next life. And so God says, look, listen, I'm looking for faithful men, faithful women, faithful students. People will be faithful with their little bit. And people who understand, okay, I only have a little bit of money. I only have a little bit of time. I have a little bit of opportunity that's come my way. And the truth is, if I'm honest, everything that's come my way, it's not even really mine to begin with. And so I'm just going to try to be as faithful as possible with whatever it is that comes into my hands. But Jesus is not done. And so he continues and says this in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, right? Either he will hate the one and love the other, 
Or he's going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. And in case that isn't clear enough for us, he just comes right and tells us, okay, listen, you, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, your heavenly father, he sees money as a tool. He sees it as a test. And he also sees it as a trademark. Because the way that we handle and manage our money as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, it is a trademark of who and whose we really are. Right? And see, just imagine, imagine for a minute, if these three lenses, if this had been the way that you had been viewing your money and your resources for years. Now, Jesus isn't done. He continues. And we find out this is how the whole story ends. He says the Pharisees, Luke tells us, the Pharisees who loved money, they listened to this whole story. They heard it all, and they were sneering at Jesus. Right? You know why they were sneering at Jesus? Because it made them uncomfortable. Just like this makes us uncomfortable. But see, can you imagine? I mean, even if this is the first time you've ever heard this before from Jesus, can you imagine what life would be like for you right now if this is the way that you had been viewing all the money that's ever come through your hands up until this point? You've seen all of it as a tool, all of it as a test, all of it as a trademark of who and whose you are. Can you imagine how different your life would be now if you had been managing and handling your money for the past five years this way, the past 10 years this way, the past 20 years this way? Right? You would know exactly where it went. Do you understand how unlost you would be today if this had been the way that you had been using and viewing and handling your money? You would be looking at every single purchase, right? Every decision, not through a lens of consumption, but through a lens of generosity, right? Because you would be thinking to yourself, okay, how can I not only use this to benefit myself, but how can I actually make use of this to benefit people around me? You would know exactly where it's going. Can you see how different our decisions would actually be when it comes to spending money? what it would feel like to break out of this constant desire for new, for fast, for shiny, for thinner or for thicker, right? Can, can you imagine how different life would be right now if you were able to break out of all that? That's what Jesus is pointing us towards. Now, of course this scares you, right? Of course this scares you because for all of us, right, this, this makes all of us uncomfortable. But see, here's, you're smart, okay? So you know, even if you've never done this before, even if you're a little skeptical right now, you know how different this would be in your life if you actually did these things. And see, here's the part that we don't often think about. Nobody, right? Nobody, people do not give their way into financial ruin, right? You know this, people consume their way into financial ruin. People do not think generously into financial ruin. That is not ever what happens. It's consumption that always pushes us to the edge of disaster financially. So just imagine. Imagine what life would be like for you right now if this had been the way that you were using and viewing and handling 
your stuff. Because all of it is just a picture of what it means to actually follow Jesus with our money. Now, today I've got one more handout for you. This is a brand new handout. You can pick this up from one of our host team members as you leave. And I gotta be honest, this is the thing, this is, a, this is a spending plan. This is the thing that radically changed how I was viewing money and how our family was viewing money. About four or five years into our marriage, Autumn was telling me, um, she was like, she was the one saying, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. And I was the one saying, no, I got it figured out. I can do this, I don't need any help from anybody. Finally, I gave in and I listened to my wife and we did this and it radically transformed not only the way that we handle our finances, it radically minimized the number of arguments that we were having. Because so many of our arguments at that stage of life were revolving around money. So I want you to pick up one of these. Those of you who are watching online, this is on our website. You can download this as a PDF and work it on paper. There's also a handy dandy Excel sheet there if you wanna get that. If any of you want the Excel worksheet, go to our website, look for this sermon in our sermon series, and you can download last weekend's tool and this weekend's tool. There'll be a couple new tools for you next week. Couple questions for you as well as we wrap up today. The first one is this. I want you to reread at some point during the week, reread the first eight verses of Luke 16 and really answer the question why. Why is it that the owner commends the money manager? And then in verses 10 and 12, if money is a test, right, be honest, right? Maybe don't share this, but be honest with yourself. How would you grade you so far, right? Based on verses 10 and 12. And then lastly, verse 13, and this is a tough one. If a stranger just found your credit card statement or your debit card statement on the ground and they read through all the transactions, what do you think they might conclude about you? Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I just wanna begin. I wanna begin and I wanna say thank you. Thank you for how um, you used these words of Jesus to, to change you know, my heart about money and stuff and possessions, how you use that change to bless not only me, but bless my family. And, and, and Father, I, I'm just so grateful. I, I'm just so grateful for how you changed my heart. And so that's my, that's my prayer for all of us today, for those of us who if we're honest, we're a little skeptical. We just kind of want to hold this at bay a little bit. Um, and, and we know there's some truth to it, but we just, we just don't want to admit what it means. Because what it means is that I'm a little fearful. I'm a little selfish. I don't want to say no to me. Father, your desire for us, it's not to keep anything from us. It's just to prevent all those little messages that live in our hearts someplace from, from taking root, from taking over us. 
And so, Holy Spirit, I know that if you can do this in me, if you can change my heart in this way, I know that you can change anybody's heart in this way. So I simply ask that, that you would do that for everyone right now who's asking for you to do that. And Father, I just want to thank you so much for the, the, the generations of faithful men and women and students who've understood this parable, this teaching Jesus, and who've done exactly what you call us all to do today. And Father, the reason I want to thank you for that is because everything that we've accomplished, everything we've been able to do as a church, everything we ever will be able to do as a church is a result of people who have submitted themselves and their hearts to you. And so, Father, as we each individually prepare our hearts right now to receive the body and blood of the bread and wine of Jesus in communion, I just ask that as we confess our sin to you personally and silently, that we would be also be honest about what is it that holds us back, Jesus, from being able to do and to act in the way that you're calling us. good news of the gospel is that your Savior, Jesus, he, he never condemns you. He never looks down on you. He's never embarrassed by you, no matter what you've done or what you haven't done. Instead, he simply meets you face to face, eye to eye, and he looks at you, and he tells you who you are, that you're loved, that you are cherished that you have a heavenly father who has given everything, absolutely everything for you. And so your sin, no matter what it is, your sin, it is truly forgiven in Jesus' name.